Everyone and welcome to Ladies Night, the official podcast of U.S. Chess Women. I'm your host Jennifer Shahadi, and you are listening to the artist Huga of HugaMusica.com, and that is a song that certainly captured my heart. Oh, Capablanca! His bishop was small. Thanks to everyone who supports the podcast through shares and reviews and Apple Live. If you want to get more involved in all we do at U.S. Chess to empower girls and women through chess, please consider a tax-deductible donation of any size to our U.S. Chess Women program and reach out to me with any questions. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Ladies Night. This is Jennifer Shahadi, and I'm super excited about my guest today on the show. Her name is Women's International Master Sabrina Shivanas. She is a friend of mine. She's a chess master, an entrepreneur, a best-selling author of both Children for Chess and an accompanying workbook. She's a director of Complex Creative, a full-service agency in her home base of London. And she's a developer, a designer, and a marketer. But to me, Sabrina is also just such a wonderful ambassador for our game. And we've been lucky at U.S. Chess to host her in many of our girls club programming, including most of our Kenya and U.S. Chess Girls Meet Through Chess initiative events. And the girls just love Sabrina. And I think you're going to, too. So thank you for joining us, Sabrina. Thank you so much for such a wonderful intro as well. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I selfishly wanted to get you on because I feel like I actually see a lot of you on Zoom, but we don't really get any one-on-one time. That's true. I do I do feel like I see you regularly on Zoom, but actually we don't get to chat, just chat chat. Exactly. Exactly. And you and you also like me, I'm very interested in chess and like the overlap with the arts and education. And it seems like you also bring the chess and its overlap with entrepreneurship as your career seems to have your feet in in both worlds right now. So can you tell me about how that happened? How did you end up becoming a creative director? My journey is pretty random, to be honest. I guess the short version of it is I did start off in chess. I I started trying to do chess coaching. I mean, I still do chess coaching, but I always had this really entrepreneurial spirit. So whilst a lot of people do the odd coaching session here and there, I was like, right, I'm going to start an agency. I'm going to do tournaments. I'm going to do everything like big. And so I did. But in order to do that, in order to be successful, I then wanted to create a brand, do a website, do videos, do like, you know, a book. And I, I went big. And I basically tried to create my own website at the time. I had loads of other people helping me. Um, there were some great people who ended up helping me. But then there were some people I hired who just like sucked (laughs) at website design. And I ended up learning it myself, which was quite crazy. And I launched a new website and it just got so much great feedback as from my chess academy. And everyone was like, oh my God, this is great. And I guess like a lot of chess players don't have the most amazing website. So it was, it was kind of easy to compete at the time. 
And so I just, and people just started asking me to do sites for them and I just got better at it. I then started freelancing, doing that on the side. And then suddenly I just fell in love with it. And I was, I realized I was quite good at it. Um, I definitely had that design eye and I ended up just taking it really seriously. So I started doing more website design, more marketing and less chess. And eventually it just turned into a creative agency <laughs> somehow. That is an amazing story. I didn't even really know the full picture on that. And and to me, it, it just goes to show how in chess, especially now, and I think in that way, you're ahead of your time, um, you're seeing a lot of people become their own little small business, right? As they are a streamer slash a chess coach slash a speaker, and they need to figure out a way to you know push themselves forward to the world. And along with doing that, they have to learn a ton of new skills. Absolutely. I feel like, like you said, it wasn't prominent a few years ago, but now take all the top streamers. They are their own little brand. Like you will see them like all over social media, like posting their views, their videos. And exactly those guys now are basically their own little digital marketers and brand experts because they have to be. They've had to learn that way. Otherwise, how do they stand out from all the other chess players? How do they stand out from all the other streamers? So it's it's a really interesting market. And it's kind of what I do now as my full-time thing. Has any chess player ever reached out to you for like personal brand services, marketing advice? They haven't actually, which I, I do find quite interesting because I think I'm in a quite a unique position to help them considering my years of marketing experience and I and and you know helping out so many major brands. I feel like I know the chess world really well, so I'd be able to help them out. No one's approached me, but I have had a company approach me. So I um, am now trying to help out the Mind Sports Olympiad. Um, you've actually played in their events, I believe. And, uh, you know, the the organizer of that, Itan Ilfeld, he, he approached me asking for help. And I just think it's a fantastic organization as well. Like you said, you're into games. It's not just chess. It's like poker. It's like Catan. It's like all these other different mind games all brought together in one kind of cool Olympiad and like a multi-international event. Yeah, I've been helping them out and I'm, I hope to help them out more in the future and kind of, I guess, create more brand awareness about the event because a lot of people just don't know it even exists right now. Yeah, I like Ethan a lot. He's great. Very innovative. Yeah, a lot like you in many ways. Maybe after this interview, more people approach you with ideas because the thing is there's more money in chess. So it's like they chess players can actually like afford a consultation because they're, you know, they're getting sponsorship deals and like the ones who aren't yet signed know that that's a possibility if they improve their their branding presence. I should hit you up right now for some advice for me. Like if you had one piece of advice for me, because like my image has been getting like better in a lot of ways because I've done so much work with like around the Queen's Gambit and gotten so much PR. But I also just feel like one thing I've always struggled with is coherent messaging because that seems to be because I'm so all over the place and doing so many exciting things. I do struggle with that with both my personal brand and with US Chess Women because of course you see my stamp all over that. We're always doing a million different things and people are Mm -hmm. like, what is this? (laughs) I think you've almost just answered your own question. Well, one thing that everyone always says in branding and in business is that people buy into people and you're like an amazing person. Like everyone who meets you is just like, Jen, she's so cool. She's got so many like, you know, strings to her bow and like, you know, I think you just need to get out there more. I know you're in different places. Why don't we have like a Jen show on YouTube? Like, <laughs> like get people get to know you more as a person. Not everyone has that personality that can sell. Not, not everyone does, unfortunately, but they may be experts at what they do, but you do have that personality. And so I feel like you should just be out there more doing more things that about you. Like you said, we're on so many 
Zoom calls, but we never get a chance to just chat, you and me. So you should do things that are just about you and focus on who you are, what's passionate, what you're passionate about and, you know, your story, not not just US chess, not just the poker, not just, you know, all the things that, that matter to you, but you as an individual. Well, thank you for the test case. Um, I love that. <laughs> I love that. And speaking of the Kenya and personality, I should tell people a little bit about how these sessions are run. So it started out with U.S. chess girls meet Kenya girls through chess. And we worked with Pontus Carlson at Business and Kids Meet Through Chess, as well as Judy Karagu from the Lighthouse Chess Club. And we got, you know, 40 American girls and, you know, 40 Kenyan girls together. And um, around the second session, Sabrina joined me for the session and the girls just immediately loved you. Um, One of the things we did was we have them play a tournament and then we do commentary. So the ones that don't have the internet connection to play or aren't in the mood that day can like learn. And the ones who are playing can watch the commentary later. And I was really grateful that you were able to do that because I know you're busy with your business work, but um, you really add a lot to those events. Can, can you give us some, some perspective on what those events are like and why you make time for them? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like they are totally worth making time for. I, I just, I honestly, like, I'm so excited by them every time I see it because not only do you have so many girls, like young girls as well, and, and older teenage girls as well, it's, it's, it's fantastic. You've got such a wide range of girls are coming to the event, but it's from like such different cultural backgrounds. And so I think I've done like some US uh, chess stuff alone. And, you know, you had girls as young as like four and then some teenage girls. And even in the Kenyan ones, there's, there's adult women who come and join because they've just, they just started late. And seeing the two cultures come together and learn, oh, it's so, it's so beautiful. They go into little like breakout rooms and they ask each other questions about what's the favorite thing about their city. And they learn different parts about the, where they're from. And, and it's just really nice. They've made like little virtual friends from millions of miles away. And I just think it's like such a beautiful thing that so many girls have encouraged each other to play. And, and they just come to these events. And the main thing is they just have fun. They love it. And the energy and the enthusiasm between them all is just wonderful to see. Well, I totally agree. I love those events too. And I'm, I'm grateful that, uh, that Pontus um, and Judy do so much to get the numbers there as last time was particularly amazing because we started to add new countries. So Uganda, Malawi, Zambia, Botswana, Tanzania. We had girls from all these different countries. And for me, that was really special because I felt like I learned so much. I was working with Judy to like create trivia about the different countries so that we would all learn about the different places. And one of the things that really struck me is that there are more countries in Africa than any other continent in the world. And actually the girls knew that. I was really impressed that most of them knew all this stuff. I was so impressed. But still, like, I just learned a lot as the girls were introducing themselves. And I think that's the goal because if you don't have, like, those reference points, it's going to, you know, you just open up a book or open up a map. It's not really going to stick, right? It's like chunking in chess. And I think what was beautiful is that we had a really nice one over Christmas. And, you know, they all got to share what they were doing for Christmas. And actually, loads of the Kenyan girls were just like, oh, my God, you guys have snow. And like, it was just, you know, they some of them had never seen snow before. Like, you don't even think about that kind of stuff. But they were like, I've never seen snow before. And, and these girls are like, yeah, it's thick with snow here. And 
And they were just really sweet. And I know that we had like an announcement in the UK that everything was going to be closed down and I couldn't go see my family. And they were all just like, I was asking them what they want for Christmas. And and loads of the girls are just like, I just, I just want you to be able to go spend time with your family. I'm like, these girls are so sweet. And I just think it's like a really beautiful thing. And they all like, seem to actually really care for each other. And it's just a wonderful experience. Oh, that's so sweet. I didn't even know that because we were in breakout rooms. That's that's the thing. Like <laughs> That's the thing about breakout rooms. They're, they're like these private little worlds because they're not recorded like the rest of the session. So even as like a moderator, I, I have to like ask people later. That's a beautiful story. I love that. So one of our goals at US Chess Women is not only to get more girls and women to play, but also to keep in mind intersectionality and trying to get... Um, girls of all backgrounds involved in chess. Can you give us some insight as a woman of color on how chess can make strides to being more diverse? That's a really good and deep question. (laughs) That's one of the things that naturally attracts me to the game of chess, though, is the fact that anyone can play. Like anyone of any age, any race, any gender, any sexuality, any like anyone, people with different disabilities can play the game. And I just think that's wonderful I don't I can't think of any other game that can bring people from all over the world so easily of all different like demographics like that and and that's what I find so wonderful I think role models is a really really important thing I really do um I think that growing up I struggled to relate because there weren't any distinct role models. I feel like the ones who were around were so far away and out of reach. Um, So I didn't think like I could aspire to be like them or I could connect to them properly. Therefore, I don't think it was easy for many women to um, continue to play. Actually, what I found is that in the in the UK, there's not that many women who play at all still. And the ones who do generally have quite male dominance in their, their house. Like, so either they've got like, you know, older brothers who have influenced them or they've got other other people who play chess that still, you know, are, are related to them. I think that the importance of role models is amazing. And with the fact that now things are getting more digitalized, people are more acceptance of Zoom as, as you know, a communication method. Being able to connect these young girls to role models who have done it, and it shows them that they can also achieve that. So you said like a woman of color. So that's two aspects of it. So the gender and the race, I feel like, you know, having role models of strong women and strong masters, like you said, Pontus, for example, one of the only black grandmasters in the world, which is crazy when you think about that, right? You know, the fact that these young Kenyan girls have a direct connection to him, that is so inspiring. Like I did not have that growing up, obviously. And, you know, I just think that's amazing. And the fact that you bring strong female chess players into the US Women's Club all the time, that must every time those girls must be like, well, actually, these girls are doing it. So I can do it. And and it brings that, you know, level of confidence. And and it doesn't feel like it's such an unattainable thing, because that's what it feels like for me growing up, I guess role models would have been Judith Pogger, you know, (laughs) and don't have any didn't have well, and now I got to I've got to be, you know, that's when I've, I've met a few Olympiads and things like that. But as a kid, that is just so far away. And, you know, I never could have that connection. Had I met Judith when I was younger or, you know, got to have a a Zoom class with her, I think it would have been a whole different thing. I would have been so inspired and, you know, um, had had a goal to kind of to go for. But yeah, that was missing. And I think that, you know, being able to be in contact with these these uh, players all the time is is something wonderful. 
Well, thank you. And I think that you obviously are a great example of that. And that's why I'm glad that even though your business is kind of taking you from full-time chess, that you are still able to be out there with your, you know, your presence at sessions like the U.S. Chess Girls Club and other events that you do. And then you have your books as well, Chess for Children. What was the experience of reading those books? And like, what kind of doors did those open for you? And what was your kind of approach to this idea of writing a beginner's chess book from your own unique point of view? I definitely wrote the book for different reasons to most other authors. I definitely think so. I was doing a lot of coaching and I ran a chess academy. That was, you know, my full-time thing at the time. And parents would come up to me and say, what books can you recommend for kids? And I struggled. (laughs) I struggled to find good books because I never read them as a kid. I found them boring. (laughs) I'm really sorry to, to most of the books out there, but I just found them boring. And a lot of kids come back and say the same thing. In fact, a lot of beginner adults now come back and say the same thing. They just find it too intimidating. So my mission was to write a book that was fun for kids. Just that was it, fun. That was my sole goal. It was like, it was fun to read. And so I decided to make it like a storybook. Most kids don't pick up a, a like, you know, The Hobbit and start reading it. You know, it's quite intense. They have to be of a certain age. So I tried to make a book that was attractive to really young kids. So I thought, what do young kids like? Pictures and a story. So I created two characters, a little boy and a little girl. And all they do is argue over the rules of chess. And every conversation they have is actually comes from a real conversation of the kids I teach in classrooms. And I basically stole all the things that they say. And I took all the years of experience um, of teaching young kids and turned it into a book. And all the rules that they argue about, which are wrong, are in there. And it's rather than saying, you know, trying to explain a rule in a dry way, it's done in a fun context. And it's just written like a story with funny pictures to kind of accompany it and talks about Star Wars and Harry Potter and all the stuff that kids normally talk about. So it did really, really well. I didn't expect it to. I didn't do it for the money. I didn't do it for fame or anything. I did it purely because when people say, do you have a book to recommend? I can be like, yes, I do. And it's like, so that's the only reason why I did it. And suddenly it became like, you know, the best-selling kids book for kids. And it's in like 18, 19 languages now. It keeps going up and I just cannot keep count, which is amazing. It actually completely sold out before the whole Queen's Gambit fiasco and um the publishers just haven't had any for ages and they ordered another print run and hopefully it's now coming out um they said within a month or so so it'll be but you can't find it on amazon you can't find it anywhere which is incredible in every country i've had people reach out on twitter and instagram just like i want to buy this for my kid and they can't can you get hold of it i was like i can't even get hold of it so it's been an incredible journey and we've not done any marketing despite my background i've not even touched marketing it and the publishers haven't really marketed it so it, that's been incredible to know that their entire first print run sold out so easily and for this one now i do intend to obviously put a little bit of push behind it because so many more people are now interested in chess and i know that i'm hoping to kind of write other books as well to follow up from that now so um because of of the boost that the nation has had because of the Queen's Gambit show. I love the concept. That's fantastic. And, you know, it reminded me, I was at a networking event a few weeks ago called like the Influencers. And there was a guy there who started a nonprofit. His name was Alvin Irby. And he started a nonprofit called Barbershop Books. 
where the idea was to like foster good reading habits in the black community. And so the barbers would like read, the kids would read and the barbers would read to them um, while giving like haircuts. And it was just, it, it was just like the barbershop would become also like a space for reading. And they've moved online, obviously, and doing a lot of like literacy campaigns online. But what really interested me when he gave a presentation, he was showing how the goals for parents and kids when they pick a book to read are like diametrically opposed. Like parents want something that will like educate them and like make them like, you know, better citizens and like, <laughs> and the kids want a good story that's fun. Exactly. I feel like the books that the parents would, would buy, and I've seen that, that the kids are just like, I don't want to read this. And so I wanted to create a book that both parents and kids would actually like. And that was the idea. If reading is already like not steeped enough in the culture, like books aren't round enough. And then when they do get a book, it's a book that's like more about like, you know, history or like explicitly edifying um, that could actually turn kids off from reading. So yeah, it's when you when you get yours back in stock, I'm gonna like get one and make sure to mail it to him so he can have it in his repertoire. Amazing, I love it. I'd love to know what people think about it as well. So it'd be great to get some feedback on that. I was actually at an Airbnb this summer, and your books were there, and <gasps> yeah, it was so cool. I was like, I wanted to like leave a note for them or something, like or get like a. <laughs> online signature oh that's so cute I didn't know that I love hearing stories like that so my friends would just be like in a random bookshop in a different country and they'd show me and like I had um a cousin in Malaysia write to me and said they found my book over there in a bookshop and I was just like this is so cool and it's really sweet so it's nice what was your opinion I know you've probably answered this a hundred times but (laughs) tell me your favorite thing about the Queen's Gambit and your least favorite thing let's just do that Ooh, I mean, my my favorite thing is probably not going to be chess related. <laughs> I am um, like the character, like obviously is just so powerful. Her fashion sense was my favorite thing. I loved the set. I loved the fashion. I just loved the production behind it, um, which was incredible. I just thought it was really, really well done. But okay, chess wise, probably is more related. So I, like you said, you've, I've been asked this millions of times and when it came out all the um radio stations and and the you know tv shows they would ask the same questions and it would be like it would all be to do around sexism and you know what it was if it was realistic and you know what is it sexism chess and of course there there is sexism in chess that's that's you know the sexism in everything but they focus on that but what i actually loved about the queen's gambit it wasn't that. It, it didn't feel that negative. It was actually how much they supported Beth. And like, you know, that it was beautiful, the scene, you know, at the end when she was playing and and they were all there on the phone, like trying to help her with her adjournment. And they were up all night, regardless of what time zone it was. And they all came together. And that support in chess, I actually loved that the most. Because for me, like you, for example, I met you through chess. And, you know, we've been friends for years, despite being living miles apart. And, you know, even if you go periods of time without talking to each other, you'll still always be friends. And, and, I, and I love that. And I've got friends from all over the world, from so many different cultural backgrounds and coming together. And, you know, say if I was playing a world championship match, I'd like to hope that everyone would help me prepare and, you know, try to be there for me. And that's what I love about it. I think that, that people were missing the beautiful aspects of it and and the support and how everyone was there for her in the game. I love that too. That was a great scene. It's funny though, my my husband always also loved that scene and he he's like, it reminded me of, of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. <laughs> 
<laughs> and now that he said that, I can't get it out of my head. You've just ruined it for me. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. I have to take that. I have to take that memory out of your head somehow. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Was there anything you didn't like about it? Good question. Um, That's tough. There was nothing that I really disliked, actually. I actually went in there with a very negative attitude, to be honest. I think I went in there thinking, that's a TV show about chess. How well done could this really be? Like, you know, and so I think I went in there with very low expectations. And so that's why I'm severely pleasantly surprised because I thought it was an amazing show. So I'm struggling to find stuff that I don't like. I mean, was there anything that you don't like about it? Not much. Everything that I yeah. didn't like about it was like kind of small, like, I didn't like that they didn't use, you know, any Judah Polgar games or like that they got the thing about Nona Gaprandishvili wrong, that she yeah. was, that she never played against men just because she's a living legend. So I thought like that would be kind of hurtful to her to watch it and see that. So those would like be two of my gripes. But the thing is, they're, they're kind of like minor when you think about the production as a whole. I, I thought also that, you know, maybe there should have been a little bit more sexism against her because it was would have been more realistic, even though it was also like a fantasy. So I like that it was a bit of a fantasy. And I've also written a little bit about how I thought the character of Jolene was a little bit underdeveloped, which was also a problem in the book. So I kind of feel for why the director struggled a little bit with that character. But overall, I just feel like it has such like a generationally positive impact on chess and, you know, on the idea of using your brain and that being glamorous. Amazing. Yeah. I think another thing that you've just reminded me of as well that's beautiful about it is the fact that chess can actually be a really, really welcomed and positive distraction from a lot of other like stuff that you're dealing with. Like she went through a lot, right? You know, for her, her age and just like she was by herself, like basically orphaned twice. Like, you know, and it was just, you know, she had almost no one around her. She stumbled into drinking, into drugs and, you know, and she had all these battles, but she used chess to overcome them. She focused on that and and she was able to find strength and support within the chess world to kind of get through some of the most traumatic things that you have to go through. And I thought that was also really beautiful. I thought that it's amazing what it's done for the world of chess. When I was interviewed about it numerous times a few months ago... I had maybe some, you know, specific things that I didn't like, but mostly I was very effusive in my praise. But as time goes on, you kind of remember like key images and you forget details. And in in, in this case, that's like really a positive as it just has this like kind of warm and fuzzy effect of like being part of like this chess boom that maybe you obviously won't recur um, and perhaps the interest will, you know, go down a little bit, but I think overall the trend will just never be the same. Chess will always have like a greater position, I think, in culture, at least for the next like 20 years because of the series. Absolutely. I feel like um, this is a discussion that I've had quite a lot with Americans, actually, because as you know, I spent a lot of time in the US. I was over there a lot. I played a lot of tournaments and there was always a discussion around chess in the US versus chess in Europe. And most Americans would say to me that they thought chess was much better respected in Europe and therefore, you know, they'd have much better opportunities. And I somewhat disagreed in different in different contexts, obviously. So, you know, in the elite chess scene, um, yeah, I think that this is pre like Sinkfield and obviously all the great events that you guys have had. 
And I thought that in general, you know, if you in the US and some and you said to someone, oh, you, you know, you're a chess player, you're a chess master, you got respect. Like, I feel like even, you know, the classic scenes that people know about is that, you know, Washington State Park, Union Square, you know, with the hustlers on the street and they're playing chess. And those guys are pretty strong. Like, you know, that's the thing. They're actually pretty strong chess players. And so I feel like in the US, you kind of got instant respect. Whereas in the UK, and I'm not taking Europe as a general thing because I, I can't speak for the rest of Europe, but just from my experience growing up in the UK and in London, you just don't get that respect. And in fact, if you were to tell someone, oh, I'm a professional chess player, they'd be like, okay, but what do you do like as a job? They're like, no, that is my job. They're like, I don't understand. And like, I've been around like England's number one, two, three, whatever, the top top five players and they've done it. And, and you see people's face, they go, that's a thing? And it would just be, and they'd be like, okay, that's really weird. Like, they would judge you really badly for it. They wouldn't even ask more questions to find out more. Because if I if I discovered something that I never knew was a thing, I'd be like, oh, okay, how does that work? Like, you know, and find out more information. But they'd immediately just disregard it as, as a weird thing. And I feel like now, since the Queen's Gambit, every time, if I mention chess to people, they're like, whoa, that's really cool. Oh my God. And they ask me a load of questions now. Whereas before it would be in the same context, people are like, oh, okay, that's a bit weird. Like, and then they actually say it out loud. <laughs> like, you know, the reaction has drastically changed. Drastically. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's great. I mean, I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm, I have to, uh, <laughs> to give uh, Scott Frank a big hug the next time I see him. <laughs> He's changed our lives. <laughs> I never met him, but I, well, I met him on Zoom. He did, he and Gary Kasparov came to one of our classes to talk about the show to our girls, which was so generous, but never met him in person. But yeah, like at, with the perspective of like a few months and seeing the kind of long-term impact, I'm really, really grateful. And, you know, I never really had that reaction in America that you describe. I feel like maybe it's because United States individualism is such a part of our culture that even before people maybe had exposure to stuff like the Queen's Gambit and the online chess boom, like I remember when I was single and dating in Brooklyn and stuff, and maybe that's a Brooklyn thing, but everybody always thought it was so cool. They were like, yeah, but that's what I mean. Like, it's just like, I just, when I went, that's partly the reason why I loved playing over there. They're like, why are you here? And I'm like, I'm here to play chess. I'm like, that is so cool. They're like, we should have a game. And I was like, that, that reaction itself was the reason I was coming to the US so much because it was just like, if I did the same thing in the UK, they'd think I'm a weirdo. <laughs> they wouldn't just think I'm a weirdo. They'd tell me I'm a weirdo. <laughs> so that's the difference. Like you said, like everyone thought it was really cool. And I, I loved that. I loved it. That just gave me a scary thought. I wonder if chess is still cool in Brooklyn or if it's uh, like, <laughs> it's too mainstream now. Oh, yeah. Like, there's that now. Well, you're going to have to do that. That's your next experiment. When we're allowed back out on the streets properly, you're going to go around, interview people, like chess, cool, yay or nay, and send us the result. Yeah. What, which cities in America have you visited and, and which ones do you like miss the most when you can start traveling again? I'm actually pretty well traveled in the US. I've been to 17 different states, which is actually more than a lot of Americans have been to. Uh, one of my favorite cities was Detroit. And like the whole of Michigan was really cool. I was actually extremely well looked after. I don't know uh, if you guys know him, but it was a uh, guy who's like in charge of all the Michigan chess stuff, Alan Kaufman, a really amazing guy. Just so, He was like such a wonderful host. It was the fact that I love music and, you know, he took me to like where Eminem grew up and like did all his thing. And I was such an Eminem fangirl as as, when I was a kid and he did that. He took me through the whole Motown scene and Motown's like some of my favorite music. So for me, that was like such an educational 
trip as well. And again, it was the fact that I went to all these different schools throughout Michigan, inner city kids, and most of them were like, you know, of color and probably not from the, you know, greatest financial background. And I was able to inspire them. And and so many of them were just asking me so many questions. They were like, oh my God, you're a master. And, you know, like, how did you do that? And they found it phenomenal that like someone of color could get to my level and, you know, perform so well. And so I think for me, of all the places I've been to, and I've been to some cool places, like I've been in Manhattan and and in uh, LA and and Vegas and all the cool fancy hotspots. But for me, I think that was one of the best trips um I was actually quite ill on that trip as well and I had to have dental surgery which you know Alan looked after me it was just such a wonderful experience all around and for me that's one of the probably the best trips I've ever had in the U.S. I have to say that's particularly amazing because dental pain is no joke. So (laughs) he must have been one heck of a host if (laughs) your your favorite trip involved severe (laughs) dental pain. Like, I I didn't even know that I was, I mean, I I knew I was in pain. I was, I mean, he was just like, right, you need to go to a dentist. And he just took me to the dentist and got me sorted and looked after me. I remember his like wife gave me like, soup they were a Jewish family and they gave me all these like traditional Jewish dishes and and I was just loving it and I was thinking this is they were just amazing hosts and just the whole culture and the whole Michigan Chess Federation but you know just such great vibes and I introduced me to like pretty much everyone I felt like and I just had such an inspiring trip basically. I'm just gonna say I really like that you had such a great experience in Detroit and I can only hope that one day I can give you a similarly beautiful experience in Philadelphia. Ah, well, actually, I have had a great experience in Philadelphia. Come on, Jen, you've hosted me too. And it's been amazing. And I got to I got to go to some really cool places. I think the only thing that I'm really sad about in Philly is that I'm allergic to cheese. So I can't have your classic Philly cheesesteak. That really upset me. But otherwise, it's been amazing. And I, I definitely want to come back for sure. I remember I took you to this like espresso place that was actually the Rim Cafe. And yes. it's right across the street from the Philly cheesesteak. So you didn't get the the cheesesteak, but you got the delicious espresso and, you know, fudge and, and chocolate truffles. I still truffles. remember that vividly. And it was years ago. I remember that it was amazing coffee. The host was, the owner of the bar was super cool. And I remember him playing like Eric Santana on the guitar and stuff like that. And I was just like, this is just a cool vibe in here. And so, yeah, I have great fond memories of Philly. Yeah. And I can't wait to visit you in London again. Fish and chips, baby. Yes. Come soon. <laughs> So tell us what's next for you, Sabrina. I know um, tomorrow, actually, but it'll be up by the time this video is up. You are going to be giving a a mini lesson and commentary session on the Queen's Gambit Decline. So we've been doing like these theme tournaments for our girls club sometimes so that they can kind of dip their toes in the waters of different chess openings. And you're doing the, the QGG. I'll post the video in the in the show notes. But what else is up for you? And why did you pick the Queen's Gambit Decline as like a cool opening that you want to kind of explain to the girls? I think a lot of the girls were consistently talking about the Queen's Gambit show and uh, they were asking about the Queen's Gambit in general and I thought it would be great to do a lesson on the Queen's Gambit because people were sort of playing it but not really knowing you know what to do and 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 it's become a trendy opening now because of the show. Um, people weren't really sure what to do against it. So I thought I'd do a bit of an overview of the QGD. Um, I also play it myself. So I thought it'd be good to show the girls that. In terms of what's coming up next, 
I'm doing a lot of chess coaching now, um, get back more into it because so many people are inspired because of Beth Harmon. And I definitely have a very different style of teaching compared to a lot of coaches. And I I get a lot of great feedback from it because just like my book, I always want to make chess fun. And so when I teach, I always want to bring out the beauty in the game and I teach it so that people love the game of chess, not just want to be, you know, bogged down in as a theory and tactics and feel like it's school because that's just not why people want to learn. I've been getting a lot of people inspired by the show and just want lessons. So I'm, I'm making myself available to, to be able to teach those people because it's really nice to be able to inspire them to play a game that I love too. Um, so I'm doing that a lot. I hope to still be involved with the US Kenya stuff because that's beautiful. I'm just still really working hard at Complex, um, Complex Creative, because that's my baby. That's my creative agency. And, you know, it brings out the the fun side of me too. Like I can I can bring all the creativity um, into my work and for my clients and I get to work on some really cool projects and and help out businesses all over the world and, and see them successful because of what we've done for them. And to me, that's also amazing. What's the best way for people to reach you about either lessons or potentially even brand advice um, via Complex Creative? Yeah, so I'm on pretty much every social media channel. I mean, the best ways to get in touch with me on, on social media would be uh, Twitter, which is, again, just such my name. I'm also at S. Chavans. Instagram as well. Um, I'm on there and also LinkedIn. So if it's a professional thing, hit me up on LinkedIn, shoot me some ideas of what you want to do and I can definitely jump on a call with you. And I'm also on chess.com. So if you want some lessons, find me on chess.com, check out my profile, send me a message through there. So yeah. I'm very easy to find. Quick Google search and you'll find a million ways to get in contact with me. Finally, you you mentioned to me that you might be starting a podcast soon. Yes, I am actually. I have recorded a couple of episodes already. I'm sort of waiting to record some more. I'm also trying to drag you onto one of my podcasts. <laughs> the idea is to get a new person on the show every week as an interview. Someone really interesting. Someone who wants to dive deep into what they do. And is not just going to talk about the, the stuff that they put on social media or the glitzy glamorous stuff I want I want real deep talks that's you know behind the scenes talks is largely going to be focused on inspiring women because I definitely it's not going to be all women I, I definitely want to get as many inspirational women on the podcast as possible so that we can inspire all the young females coming through and whatever career they want to go in I'd love to have different women of different in different careers and different caliber come and just inspire the young women of today, basically. Well, I'll look for that. And yeah, I can't wait to, to listen. Sabrina Chavans, we are so happy that you were able to join us for Ladies Night. And we'll include a link to your Queen's Gambit Decline lesson and to all your socials. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been wonderful. If you like what we're doing at US Chess to encourage women and girls to explore STEM fields, accentuate competence, and approach an even ratio with a focus on intersectionality, your donation to our US Chess Women programs is always appreciated and tax deductible. The US Chess Suite of podcasts, including Ladies Night, are produced and edited by Jason Andre at Seven Season Films Photography and Media. Please visit sevenseasonfilms.com to find out how to start your own podcast. Don't forget to listen and subscribe to all U.S. chess podcasts from One Move at a Time, Cover Stories, and The Chess Underground. Till next time, may every night be ladies' night. Now according to Sockfish, I got it all wrong. 